Hello and good evening everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Magic the Final Frontier. This is Kevin Finkel, and here we will be discussing the Frontier format, keeping our listeners up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. And I am Can- Kevin Handlinell. I grind Frontier on the internet. So the reason he's saying it like that for our viewers <laughs> who can't see the show notes is that it's misspelled in the show notes. It's hilarious. Uh, no excuse for his first name, though. I don't know how he messed that one up. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that was my baby name. So, I'm Matt Murday, Spike and Frontier Lover out of Toronto, Ontario. All right, and this is going to be a two-parter episode because we are going to talk about something very special, something that every Magic player loves, and that is new cards. So can I take a po- moment to appreciate Frontier real quick? When I care more about modern and legacy sets, the set releases were always kind of a complete hit or miss with maybe like one to two cards I cared about. But despite being non-rotating, every set release feels really special for Frontier. So these are always the most exciting episodes for me. Yeah, we spend a really long time talking about all the new cards in these episodes. I mean, if you look at Rivals of Ixalan as an example, I I think that was our first two-parter, and we really went in-depth on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are my favorite episodes, too. And that's one of my favorite parts about Frontier, is just having a reason to get excited every new set. Exactly, yeah. So the way we're going to try and break this out is we're going to make it two parts. We're going to talk some general mechanics in the first one, some big new role players, Uh, builder rounds, removal, things like that. And the second one, we'll try and talk cards a little bit more specific for archetypes. We're going to try and do our top fives then. If we cut some things in the first one, we'll fit into the second one if there's, you know, special cards you want to mention. But uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Why don't we talk about some of the new mechanics from this set? So uh, why don't I go first with what's actually a returning mechanic, if you guys want to do this, is that we've got some kicker cards. I don't know if you want to talk specifically about those or if you wanted to talk. Yeah, why don't we go with a couple of kicker cards or talk about kicker in general? How'd you guys feel about kicker in this new set? I mean, obviously that ape is going to be busted, right? <laughs> All right, so you're already going with cards that I don't even think we included on our list. So it was like Grun the Last oh, King or something like that. Yeah, if you like kick him <laughs> for 18, then he enters with five plus one plus one counters or something like that. God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here going, what ape is he talking about? Did I miss something? Uh, I'm okay, just going to so... have the whole set open this whole night. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yep, you're going to be jumping around on me. So this is Grun the Lonely King, uh, a legendary creature, ape warrior, kicker three. And if Grun was kicked, he enters the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on him. So he's either a 5-5 five, five, or a 10-10. Ten, ten. And when he attacks alone, you double his power and toughness to the end of the turn. But he's otherwise vanilla. Guys, so obviously this is a super powerful draft mechanic. I don't, I don't <laughs> got to preach to anyone about that. It gives you cards that are powerful in the early game that can be transformative in the late game, right? Where mm-hmm. when a board stall has been happening and everybody's got flyers and everybody's got really bulky creatures on the ground... I've all of a sudden got this thing that can punch through, right? Um, so Yeah, so I almost wanted to issue a disclaimer here, is that we are a Frontier podcast. Kevin, I know you play a lot of EDH. Let's try and limit the EDH discussion, because there's so much for them, for you know that that format. I was talking about we'll draft, Frontier. but... Yeah, no, and then I was going to say, on top of that, let's also see... This isn't a draft podcast either, but I definitely agree with you. That seems like a very limited thing. I think that in general, I'm not that impressed with how they did kicker in this format. So we were talking on our ideas for what we'd like to see in Dominaria. We actually mentioned kicker as a potential, you know, 
traditionally powerful mechanic that they might bring back. Yeah, and you and called I don't it, feel so like they one brought point it back. for you. <laughs> I don't feel like they brought it back with very much power here. A lot of the cards, I'm not excited to play the base version, I'm not excited to pay the kicker version, and the flexibility doesn't make it strong enough that I think it's going to have a big impact. Yeah, I think there's maybe like one constructed playable kicker card, and like I, I don't even, I wouldn't even be like, Yes, it's definitely good. You know, like I'd be like, I guess you could play it. <laughs> What's the card you're talking about in particular? Um, it's a red one. The fight with fire, I think, is it's it's yes. okay. Fight with fire, two and a red sorcery. It deals five damage to target creature. If it's kicked, it does ten damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead. So that's pretty powerful. Calls back to Urza's rage pretty strongly. That was an instant, which was just a lightning bolt for three but had a larger kicker and was 10 and uncounterable. And it also could go to face, which is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one can't, unfortunately. Yeah, but, on the base uh, version. Five damage is a, is a fairly hefty amount, so I'm not too upset about it. So while we're talking about this card, it's probably interesting to note that a new mechanic is coming with Dominaria and that they're changing uh, the way that damage is worded, and they're re errating all of our previous cards that could do damage to target uh, creature or player um, in that fashion. Basically, uh, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet, but damage can't be redirected to Planeswalkers anymore. Instead, they're directly targeted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, now if you take a look at the Oracle text for Lightning Bolt after Dominary is released, it will say three damage to any target rather than three damage to target creature or player. Yep, that's exactly right. So that will make, I think overall that's going to make Planeswalkers stronger. There's a lot of abilities like Planeswalkers that could damage players. I think I'm going to now end up just hitting players and not other Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. There's things I can think of such as Fevered Visions, which is always a great way to you know, put pressure on planeswalkers. You can't do that anymore. Probably we haven't seen the uh, we haven't seen the full oracle update yet, so I can't say that for sure. But it's going to be interesting. I, I don't love it, but it's going to make planeswalkers a little bit stronger. I think. I agree that it's going to make planeswalkers stronger. I think that this is probably a move to make. Well, they're saying that it's a move to make magic more readable on each card and more understandable for new players, and I think mm-hmm. that's always a strong move. Um, but I also think that it's kind of a ploy to make Planeswalkers a little bit more playable in EDH. So, uh, we'll see. Yeah, so regarding Kicker, there were a couple other cards I thought were worth mentioning. They're including, I think the two cards which have a Kicker cost which isn't mana are both playable, but we might mention those in removal a little bit later. So, the ones I wanted to bring up were the Legendaries Josu Vess, the Lich Knight, and Varric's Bladewing. So these are both the four mana Kicker creatures the one is the four five menace black creature that uh if you kick it for six more mana it comes in with eight two two black zombies with menace what did you guys think about that card i think it's really really hard to assess um i think that it might be in a meta that's this controlling kind of like a linchpin in in the creature deck like the beat down deck versus the control deck Right, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking more so about Jund versus blue-black control rather than, I don't know, like a Tarker red versus blue-black control, right? Like, it, Okay. It's a super yeah. cool card, um, but I, I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out when I want... Because I don't think you ever want to play it 
for not its kicker. That's that's the problem with a lot of these kicker cards in like a constructed. Um, sense. Exactly, that's kind of where I feel. So with Josu Vest, the one I actually thought of is Mindrack Demon, the four or five flying trample from yeah, uh, from the Shadows Over Innistrad. Mm-hmm. That's better than the base version of this, and that's not seeing any play right now. So I, I have trouble justifying this card if I'm not always kicking it. Yeah, right. Absolutely, and even then, like that has a lot of payoff in Delirium decks. Like if mm-hmm. you can keep your Delirium going, then it's actually categorically a better card. So yeah, and I mean, like, is it eight zombies? That's a lot. That's a lot that of power lot of hitting the yes. board. <laughs> but at the same time, by the time I have eight mana, why or ten mana? Sorry, you know, I'm you're getting to things like Emrakul, and like you're getting to Titans. You know, like Ulamog. Yeah. You're so you're so far beyond Emrakul at that point. You've cast your like (laughs) third Emrakul at the point that you're thinking about dropping this for ten mana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it just seems you're obsolete at that mana cost, right? So Um, that seems like a bit of a running theme for me. Is that there are a lot of very high mana cost cards, and I don't see much way in this set to really ramp to them, especially if you're not in green. Yeah, and like Varix is another card. Varix Bladewing. Um, so this is the two mana two red legendary dragon it's a four four flyer or if you kicked it for three more then it comes with another legendary four four flyer and that's not a bad rate um but i just four four for four is good well i mean Mm -hmm. it's pretty bad in frontier um you know no one's playing no one's playing thunderbreak regent Uh, yeah i would say that's a lot better at four Uh, but with the kicker like two four four flyers for seven yeah yeah that's a decent rate but it's just, again, it comes down to what else can I play for seven, you know? Mm-hmm. Even in the Dragon's deck, would you play this over a Tarka? A Tarka's in the Dragon's deck? I mean, if there's a green-red, like, monsters, dragons list. I don't hate this one. Like, if I saw this thing as, like, some deck found a way to have a top end at seven that... And it made sense, you know? I'd be like, ah, all right. You know, mm-hmm. if it's, like, a one or two of, it's kind of like... Yeah, that, that's a lot of power on the board. It's flying. It's you, know, you could do worse things for for eight or seven mana. But... And as someone who's been having a lot of fun with War Kite Marauder, people generally underrate <laughs> flying in Frontier. Like it's actually that is true. Really, flying really is very powerful. good in Frontier. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't excite me though. You know, it's, as much as as much as I I don't hate the idea of someone playing this in some weird deck that manages to get seven mana. <laughs> i'm not in love with it either it's kind of like all right how would you feel about moving on to talking about the sagas of dominaria i approve all right so sagas are something very interesting this is a new enchantment type and when they enter the battlefield they do one thing and then basically they tick up they've got all of them in this set have three numbers on them and they do the first one when they come in they get a second one during your sec your first main phase the turn after that Untapped and then they get phase, the third sir. one it's main phase it's after it's the end of your draw step basically like between your draw step and your main phase okay sure i'll take it (laughs) and then after you do your third one then it goes to your graveyard you sacrifice it so they're all pretty interesting they're all fairly expensive um do you guys want to just jump in with something you thought were really interesting yes Yes, and if you guys haven't seen a saga, as we explain them, it'll make more sense than me trying to talk out how the mechanic works. All right, um, so I think the one that's pretty obvious 
um, especially in a creatureless control deck, uh, is History of Benalia. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so this is one and two white. It, With its first lore, it creates a 2-2 two -two white knight creature with vigilance. It does the same thing with its second one. And then when it gets to three, knights you control get plus two plus one until end of turn. So the reason I really like this is mm -hmm. because, first off, it's an enchantment, so you can hit it off of Azkanta, right? So okay. I can search this up with Azkanta in the late game against a deck that has a lot of creatures and have a blocker every turn. And then if it goes uninterrupted, then it's another win con in addition to, I don't know, my Scarab God or my Gideon or whatever I'm trying to push through for those final points of uh, final points of damage and close out the game. Right. So I think that's interesting. You see this more of a control card than an aggressive card. I think that's the first thing that I consider it in, but I also <laughs> think that it's an awesome t like in a lot of these cases, the the cards that you think are really good in control decks are also good in aggressive decks because this is a recursive threat in aggro decks at the same time. And it's an enchantment, which means that um like blue black control just as an obvious choice uh has a really hard time interacting with it. I kind of see it the same way as Fink here. I'm kind of surprised to hear you say control. Um, and the main reason is that I think a big part of it's not really recursive, right? Like it's it's just two bodies um, mm -hmm. in a deck that that's kind of want to be languishing the board, right? Or versus a like if you're against blue black control, they're going to be languishing, right? Um, I see this where I see this is a dusk to dawn deck. Um, Primarily because I think we've been getting a lot of cards for a Dust to Dawn deck in the last like two or three sets. Um, Interesting. Yeah, where... I can see that. So anyone who doesn't know, Dusk to Dawn is the sweeper from, oh, is it Hour of Devastation or is it Amonkhet? Uh, hour, I think I it was the first one. So we're talking about no, White think, Weenie right now, right? Yeah, we're talking about White Weenie. So it's a five mana sweeper that destroys anything with power three or greater. And then the backside brings back all the creature cards from your graveyard that have power two or less. So it's been a really, really long time since we've seen a a dominant white weenie deck in standard, right? At least since mm -hmm. Shadows Over Innistrad block. So Yeah, pretty much since all like Kythian rotated out. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, to me, this kind of gives Dusk to Dawn decks a way to go around their weakness, which is they can't go tall. Um and mm -hmm. kind of makes them vulnerable to being walled out um when they don't have that dusk to sweep away the other side of the board, right? Because um, I think there's there's been a kind of a deck slowly kind of ruminating uh, and building in the format that doesn't necessarily want to use, you know, always watching uh, Thalia's Lieutenant uh, to go bigger. And it kind of wants to have just go really wide, um, get utility out of its kind of weenie dudes and basically just use Dusk to do a, just a lopsided board wipe a bunch, basically. It's so have you tried this deck out yet? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just going to see. Have you tried this deck out some? Because I have, I have myself. I was going to talk on it in a second here. But Kevin, why don't you make your point first? So it's really interesting because I mentioned this deck a few podcasts ago, and mm -hmm. we talked about how White Weenie at the time was a humans deck. Um, but I think that it is a super archetype that has a lot of room for expansion, and I think this is definitely an angle to it that we have seen a little underexplored in the format. Um, particularly, I really like this in the tokens variations of White Weenie. Mm -hmm. So do you see this as a Knight Tribal deck is one of the questions. I, I think as far as the set, there's not much Knight Tribal 
support. I think this is one of the only cards, despite there being quite a few knights. Uh, I'm wondering, would you want something like the Intangible Virtue naming knight in this deck? I don't think it's impossible that there's a there's a knight deck looming out there somewhere because there's a hmm. lot of cards out there that are just like good knights that you don't <coughs> knight of the white orchid is an excellent yes. example. So the big yeah. ones I think of are knight of the white orchid. I think of Gideon. So Gideon makes knight ally tokens. Those count into mm. this. So I've yeah. it's a really good play. Is you play this and then you play Gideon, you get a knight from that, and then you get three knights getting the pump up is quite powerful. Yeah, like I'm not sold that it has to be a knight deck. But I, I think it's possible. Like plus two, plus one it, to your whole board is pretty big, right? Like that's a that's a big effect. Yeah, that's definitely sizable. And Knight's um, got a new one drop as well. <clears throat> we'll be talking about it later. But I... oh well, why don't we bring it up right now? So that is Dauntless Bodyguard. It's one white for a two one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose another creature you control, and you can sacrifice a Dauntless Bodyguard to give that creature that you chose indestructible. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just like a classic example of things that White Weenie wants um, mm -hmm. because you want to stack up on efficient bodies and getting two attack for one mana is really important for a deck like White Weenie. So. Yeah, I think this would replace something like Mardu Woe Reaper probably. I don't know if it would replace some of the most powerful ones like Kithian or Thraben Inspector. Yeah, no, like, and unfortunately, though, both of those are soldiers. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it definitely doesn't replace Thraben Inspector, and I don't think that any white weenie deck is going to want to pass up on that, even in eternal formats like Popper. That's just like a super powerful card that people play. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, but it it is a knight, it is a two one, and I yeah, that's absolutely the target that I would pick for uh, replacement is Marty Woe Reaper because the benefit that you get from Marty Woe Reaper in addition to the efficient body is kind of fringe. I don't know. See, I see this as Dauntless Bodyguard as being a mono-white weenies, like a mono-white humans card, right? Um, and that's the kind of deck where I do want to see, more, I think, more one-drops, right? Like I've a lot of the really successful uh, mono-white uh, humans we've seen throughout history have gone right up to 16 one-drops, right? Like it, it, mm -hmm. it's a crazy low curve. Um Whereas so you're, you're asking whether or not we'll even have Dauntless Bodyguard if we're trying to go this history of Benalia Gideon deck. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think this might be a different, a different list. I'm not sure though. Um, you said you had play tested it, so I'd love to hear a bit about, uh, a bit about that. Yeah, I, I was like I was saying, it's very powerful. I think Benalia into Gideon is extremely strong. Um, the knight synergy is mostly irrelevant but there are a lot of good knights in it uh, i was going to mention that there are two more knights i wanted to talk about at a two drop and a three drop the knight of grace is an extremely powerful card so this is one and a white for a human knight two two with first strike and hexproof from black which is something they haven't done before but it can't be the target of black spells or abilities your opponents control and if your opponent happen or if anyone happens to have a black permanent it gets plus one plus zero so Blue-Black has a really hard time getting rid of this card without a sweeper. I guess my problem with this card is that if you're Blue-Black, what are you doing mm -hmm. in the board against white humans? Well, you're bringing in Aether... Uh, what is it called? Gifted Aetherborn, who can't block this. I mean, it's a 2-3 Death Touch lifelink, and it just dies to this I, I mean, I guess if we're looking at the... Like, if we're just... If we just popped it into the current meta, maybe maybe that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think more more realistically is we're just seeing more sweepers come in. Because um, sweepers are kind of the card that mono-white humans can't beat right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, sweepers are a big problem for mono white humans and i think it's a big mm-hmm. part of why we haven't seen them in our metagame a lot right um control is a bad matchup just because they rely on, on building into this kind of almost snowballing board state um mm-hmm. where they're, they're all their little dudes kind of get bigger off each other and contribute to this kind of unbeatable board but once yep. it's gone um you know they don't have much i think that it stands to reason that if white weenies start seeing a resurgence in our own metagame that we'll see the um the l the 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 devoid board wipe come in from a from a lot of a blue black lists i can't remember what the name of it is but it gives minus um, two minus two flaying tendrils i don't yeah i believe that's devoid sorry sorry what's the logic there i'm not understanding so it it just gives black another board wipe that can get around a lot of these smaller dudes and it can come down earlier hmm, so i in that case i might not i don't see much reason for the exile i kind of like the uh glorious demise is the one from rivals might do the kind of same thing I think it's pr- the, the prob- probably what we see is just going to be more languish and maybe an extra top end with the uh, crux of fate, right? I mean, it's hard to that's, imagine that's a metagame option. with more languish than the amount of languish that we have right now. Or there's another card I'll mention in one second, but I did want to bring up the one other card that happens to be a knight is part of a, a cycle here. This is Benelish Marshall for white, white, white is a 3-3 three, three human knight and other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So this obviously fits into the same kind of lists we're talking about of being mono-white humans, being white weenie aggro, being knight aggro, whatever it is. This seems like, in some ways, an upgrade to something like an always watching, if you're being that aggressive. Although it does definitely put you into more of a, well, you got languished, you're gone. I think it's it, it's better into a control meta. Um, because I think you just, part of the issues mono-white humans has against control is that mm-hmm. always watching is basically innate card disadvantage, right? So yeah. if control is just going one for one, one for one, one for one, um, and then you go always watching onto an empty board, they go, all right, cool. <laughs> that gives that them a chance to get ahead. They <laughs> draw their hand. Yeah, exactly. All right, so moving away from the white weenies, I wanted to go back to a saga, which is what our original discussion is here, and one that I could see being played in those exact positions you're talking about is Phyrexian Scriptures. This one is the two and two black. The first lore counter, it puts a plus one, plus one counter on an up to one creature you control, and that creature becomes an artifact. And then two, destroy all non-artifact creatures. So boom, board wipe for four mana. This is basically damnation. Uh, And then three is mostly after effect, but it exiles all cards from all opponents' graveyards, which isn't anything outstanding on its own, but is nice as just a little extra tacked onto something, especially against certain decks. I think that the last one is absolutely relevant in certain matchups. Like, I want mm-hmm. this in a, against a Scarab God deck, and I want this against Jundelirium. I specifically think this is pretty good in Abzan if it can somehow afford the two black. So I guess yeah. my question there is, when are you bringing in board wipes versus Scarab God and, uh, and uh, Emrakul decks, Turbo Emrakul? Um, well, it, uh, this is an opportunity to do so. Is what I'm saying. Like this, this card provides un, unexplored space. Yeah, I would agree. So, I, I guess I'm just not understanding. That's okay. Okay, so like with with Abzan, 
lately it's been an aggro list, right? But this, like, the, the most important and the most relevant card that you can play in Abzan remains Siege Rhino. Mm -hmm. And Siege Rhino remains a creature that's worth preserving if you wanted to play a board wipe, which is why, like, previously the signature board wipe of Abzan was Flaming Tendrils. But this gives a new type of board wipe to Abzan to play against more aggressive creature decks and also decks that are threatening its own graveyard by threatening to, you know, recur its siege rhinos and Yeah, yeah. I I, I get that part. Like I could see yeah. Abzan running this as a board wipe. Yeah. My my question is why are they running it into a Scarab God deck or like a Turbo Emrakul deck, which don't necessarily... Their strategies aren't about having creatures that you can really board wipe away, right? Like it's... Abzan generally wants to go under those lists. Yeah, that's that's fair. It may not be a, a game one kind of thing. I don't think it's a game one kind of thing. And I don't think board wipes are a game one kind of thing for Abzan. I think it's an aggressive mm -hmm. deck. But I think it's another tool for Abzan. Yeah, I, okay, I can guys, see let's move absent. let's move on to some other sagas, I think. I actually do want to talk a little bit more about this one. Um Okay. <laughs> so one of the main things that well, that makes me you, you get we're giving you 30 seconds. Go ahead. One of the main things that makes me kind of second guess Phyrexian scriptures is that one of the main decks I want a four mana wrath into is Abzan. Um and kind of going from there this telegraphs and they can Dramoka's command it. Mhm. Mm so so that that does give me pause. But otherwise, it does seem it seems neat. I'm I'm not unhappy with it as a as a board wipe. I mean, it's a mythic, so mm -hmm. it's gonna be neat looking regardless. <laughs> they get to put a lot of words on it. All right, how about some other sagas you guys are interested in? Um, for the name alone, I really like the Marari conjecture. Ah, okay, so that one is the. Uh, I don't think I had that on my list. That one's the blue one, which it returns a sorcery from your graveyard, and then no, it returns an instant from your graveyard. Then it returns a sorcery from your graveyard, and then on that next that last turn, all the instants and sorceries you cast are copied. So, I have no idea what deck this would go in. <laughs> okay, it's just so got like so many words on it, and like such a cool art. And I don't know. I just like by design alone, like I think the thing that stands out about sagas is that they're new, right? Mm -hmm. And that they're like for, if, for anyone who hasn't like read the the um, history of them, they're basically Richard Garfield's original design for the Planeswalker. Um, and this one just looks like it's it's either awful, <laughs> like it's completely unplayable <laughs> or it's so spectacularly good that like it, it's something i'm going to have to try playing with so i think what you have to do with the the sagas you have to kind of evaluate them as though they were planeswalkers right mm -hmm. um so tapping out five mana um it is a big deal in frontier and i think you have mm -hmm. to do in some way either defend yourself or like you have to impact the board right it's not it's not enough to just you drop an engine on on turn five which is kind of what i see the mirari conjecture as right like you're just i'm gonna get a bunch of cards back and i'm gonna do some cool things in a couple turns um and, and as like there's raw power here right like that's a lot of things a lot of text um it's really cool 
Um, but at five mana to not impact the board whatsoever. Yeah, it, you know, it doesn't just... impact the board immediately, which makes it a like very possibly a do nothing and requires yep. a lot yep. of setup. That, that's where I am on it. Five mana. Let, let's pass five mana. <laughs> actually, I think that's actually a big thing about this whole set as a whole is that there's a lot of cards at four, five, six mana. It feels like there was very little of the cards I'm interested in that are really two, three, one mana. Like, let's pay attention to that as we go through. There is how many cards we're actually talking about that are less than four mana. Cause I don't think it's enough of them. I agree. I'm super on board with that. Yeah. I, I actually entirely agree, especially on sagas. I, I don't think that mm-hmm. sagas for the most part are going to be impactful in Frontier. Okay, um, so you want to talk about a six-mana saga then? Yeah, let's talk about Fall of the Thran. Ooh, so Armageddon is back. Fall of the Thran, when it comes in, its first lore is destroy all lands. And then for the two turns after that, each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. So this is interesting. We've got Tormod's Crypt. Are you just going to destroy all lands and then take away the downside of it? Or uh, does that seem like two cards to do basically nothing to the board i mean people try land destruction all the time but rarely is it mass land destruction because it's mm-hmm. really really hard to get ahead when you're destroying all lands <laughs> yes so that's a big thing is that armageddon before anything else it's a tempo card and six mana is a lot of mana to be trying to do a tempo card especially at sorcery speed <laughs> yes especially all right um, I, I mean, still have a couple more sagas I wouldn't mind talking about, unless we want to go more on this. With, with I, I want to see Thran, if Matt's got one. I do, actually. <laughs> yeah. But with Fall of the Thran in particular, um, three turns later, so if you don't get rid of their graveyard, mm-hmm. th- they're still going to end up with four lands at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's a lot of lands to give them back after you destroyed all their lands, right? So it, seems, it does seem more cute than useful to me. <laughs> I, th- I think it is very cute. Yeah, so so the one I'm interested in is Song of Frailies. Me too. Let's talk about that one. Um, so it's one on a green. Um, the first two steps are until your or sorry until your next turn, creatures you control gain tap, add one mana of any color. Uh, the third activation is put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. So, Thank you for reading that. Save my voice a little. <laughs> I don't know if this is actually good. Like, it's, it, I'm having trouble evaluating it. Um, but it does yeah. it does strike me as one of those ones that you could do some broken things with it. Um, I'm kind of skeptical that we're going to get there. Um, but I have to admit, like, there's there's some stuff going on here that I think could be actually good. So what kind of deck do you see it being in? That's my main problem, because I don't see a great fit for it right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um I don't think we have a lot of good stuff happening in green right now, to be honest. Yeah, it it oh, seems, okay. especially in this set, like they're trying to figure out how to make green good again. Yeah, they're definitely pushing green in some unique ways in this set. And I think we are getting uh, more green power in this set than we have in the past few. Definitely. Um, but I don't Since think it's Since Shadows, enough... I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's enough to put, to really do a lot for green in Frontier. Um, because a lot of the ways they're pushing it are in new directions where we don't necessarily have the support for those cards. Yeah, yet. so so this card, it, it reminds us all of Cryptolithrites, which did something very Absolutely, similar. Absolutely, yep. But yeah. permanently. Now, I don't know if I like this as much as Cryptolithrite because that 
Cryptolith Right decks tend to be very grindy. You'd be able to do things late into the game. You don't, this only sticks around for two turns. The other thing is, despite being two mana, you don't want to play this on turn two because that just doesn't do anything. You kind of want to play it yeah. turn five or six with a nice board built up. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I, I don't know. It, it seems like there's some possibilities here. I, I haven't mm-hmm. figured out what they are yet. Yeah, I kind of, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I think that it's it's hard to think about when you want to play it. It's hard to think about what you want to play it against. If it's a sideboard card, what are you going to bring it in against? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I trying to power out? And at the same time, like, a lot of us have been experimenting with green ramp decks, and it could be nice to be able to tap my, um, like, let's say, for example, my Duskwatch Recruiter to be able to activate its own ability. So, hmm. I don't know. All right. I've got one more saga I think I wanted to bring up. Is just I can't resist a three for one. There is uh, was... the Eldest Reborn is one black and four colorless. Number one, each component sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Number two, each opponent discards a card. Number three, put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Hmm. I mean, does good stuff. It's a mini. Uh, I mean, and the, it's kind of here's yeah, the cool thing for ultimatum. me. It affects the board the turn it comes down. Yeah, it does. Yes, five mana sorcerer speed is an awful lot, though. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a big ask. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, um, there's going to be a number of ways to get enchantments out of the graveyard coming up in this set. So hmm. it might be worth looking at. Um, so we're playing some black in our Bant Starfield. Mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so now, what I do like about the timing of the sagas, just totally an off. But if you do bring a saga back with Starfield and Nix, you get the first interaction, and then you'll get the next one at your main phase. So you'll get two in that right away. Yeah, and I, <laughs> if anything, these sagas have made me more curious to try Bant Starfield again out of any mm-hmm. deck. Um, but at the same time it's been kind of a lukewarm deck uh, in this format so far here's my my thought on this is if you play the eldest reborn and they Mm -hmm. don't kill you or counter it before your next turn you probably just win the game right like that's that's a lot of card disadvantage to come back from it is yeah assuming that you didn't already have a good board Mm mm-hmm because, like, if you play this into a Tarka Red, you're done. You're toast. <laughs> like, okay, cool. I'll sack a wait, Goblin. Wait, that's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> if, you, if you play this, a Tarka Red kills you before your next turn, right? So I'm saying yeah. if you if you play this and you're not dead before your next, your next turn or they don't just, like, negate it, yeah, that, that you probably just win the game. Yeah, I think it competes with some other cards that do that same sort of thing, like Profane Procession, I kind of think, is one of those. Oh, you play it and you're going to just win the game with value, but winning the game with value doesn't always work yeah yeah but i mean it also does it also kills a creature when it comes down right so if you're playing some yeah. kind of controly deck um and they you know they you're going one for one they slam a seed rhino and you respond with this mm-hmm. doesn't seem too bad yeah but if you get like a knight ally or a goblin token that's not as great no yeah i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying th- there's definitely some upside there it's probably not playable but but it's it's a lot of text. It okay. is, yeah. Hmm. Well, I might move us on to our next 
kind of new mechanic, which is legendary sorceries. You know, we get to talk about some more uh, five, six, seven mana cards. <laughs> okay, so the legendary sorceries, these are a special kind of sorcery. They count as a legend, and you can only cast them if you have a legendary creature or planeswalker in play. Um, are they any good, guys? No, I don't think they're, they're getting printing. <laughs> yeah, they're all garbage. And like, I don't they're get all it because... okay. Like, if we could, if we could categorize like what these cards do is like a trademark. First off, they are expensive. Like, mm-hmm. these are very, very, very expensive cards. Like five and up. I haven't seen one that costs less than five. I don't know about the about the two of you, but it's five and up. And second, they require you to have a legendary creature mm-hmm. or planeswalker which is a, a big ask like there are powerful legendary creatures in our format but maintaining that is like a giant telegraph and the first time that you've cast one in a single match you're like showing <laughs> yeah. people like all right cool this is kind of like part of my game plan so like don't let my thalia live or whatever the case is yeah and right, like... well, i'm gonna do a quick here let me do a rapid fire i'm gonna kind of run through them and you guys you're gonna have five seconds to tell me why it's not good there's Karn's Temporal Sundering. It's six mana blue card that gives you an extra turn, bounces a permanent. Yeah, six mana. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's, uh, there's, there's a, whoa, whoa, I got a turn two, Finkel. What are you doing here, man? <laughs> it's rapid fire. Your five seconds are over, man. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, Yogmoth's Vile Offering. Black five mana destroys a creature and returns a creature from a graveyard. So it's a creature or planeswalker from a graveyard to play. I think this one might actually be good. Um, I w- I would probably play it in a mirror. It's right there on the value train that we were just talking about. You get rid of a planeswalker, you bring one back. It's just the the cast and cost combined with the uh, with the like legendary requirement for me. Like it's just mm-hmm. without the legendary requirement, it might be okay. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's one too many things. And it's uh, sorcery this is speed. Ruinous blast, five mana, white. Exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. You're exiling so many of your permanents with that. Like <laughs> it's it's hard to think of a deck where you're creating an advantage out of playing this card. Yeah, it misses a lot too for me. Yeah, it misses like a lot, a lot. That that's a big thing. Yeah. All right, this janky green one. I'm just gonna skip that. Uh, Jaya's immolating inferno. X red red. Th- X damage to up to three targets. This is the red. best of the best of the set to me. Okay, it, and it, I just think it's not. By the time you get to wanting a third target for your burn, it's kind of like what? What do I? What do I still want to burn? You know, like there's mm-hmm. not. There's not usually much if you're, if you're ramping this out for huge, right? And so it's also X red red mm-hmm. as opposed to XX red red, which I think Rolling Thunder is our previous example of a firewall in our format, right? Or fireball oh. rather. Well, we had um, Fall of the not Titans, in our format. right? Yeah, we got Fall of the Titans. Now, actually, Fall of the Titans and this card are both cards that get stronger because of the Planeswalker change, because you can deal damage to them and their Planeswalker, which Fall of the Titans couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think this might see some play? Where would you actually see this? I don't think this will see play. I just think it's the best of the bunch. Uh, okay. Um, last one, got to give a mention. Seven mana. Return all legendary permanents from your graveyard to your battlefield. This is Primeval's Glorious Rebirth in black and white. Again, Man, is there is, some... This is just a Timmy's <laughs> wet dream, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is there some, like, a uh, black-white 
Planeswalkers deck we can just go crazy with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five colors Healy combo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's really hard for me to think of something that I would want to play this in. Okay. You're not playing like Abzan Planeswalkers? Abzan, uh, what is it called? Abzan Super Friends? Yeah, Abzan, uh, Abzan Gatewatch. All right, I'll brew it. I'll brew it up. <laughs> All right, you show me the list. I'll try it. Oh, uh, and you have to already have one in play too. So, ooh, that's gonna be rough. Challenge accepted. I, well, well, thank you though for the perfect segue here because let's talk about the new planeswalker from the set. This isn't a new mechanic, but I think it's something. There's always new planeswalkers. They're always probably worth testing. I think the last couple sets have had some really weak planeswalkers. How do you guys feel about the ones in Dominaria? I I think it's more of the same. I think they're pretty weak. They're probably really? a, okay. they're probably a step up from um, Ixalan Jace, but yeah, I, they're not I, a I, cutting castaway or. A, yeah. But I don't think we have a new Gideon ally of Zendikar. Like I don't think we have a new one that hey, we're really gonna see. Karn is basically Gideon. I mean, you can just make four fours every turn, make five fives. That's better than Gideon, right? In your best case scenario, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, right, when so you're current sign of Urza, this is a four mana planeswalker for four colorless. Comes down with five loyalty. Uh, it can plus to reveal the top two. Basically, you look at the top two. You the opponent picks one that you get. The other one goes into exile, and you can use it minus one to grab any of the ones in exile from this card. So that's card advantage, kind of slowly. Uh, the, the big part on it is it's minus two. It creates a zero zero construct artifact, which gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. So if you have two other artifacts, it makes three threes every turn, which then the next turn is a four four. Yeah, so I definitely think if this is going to see play, it's going to be because of the minus two. I just mm-hmm. think it's it's a weird spot to be in for a four mana planeswalker, right? Because if we're going to go in this kind of blistering fast, uh, you know, artifact aggro deck, right? Like dump your hand artifact aggro. Yeah, it just, it feels weird because he's not he's not really that aggressive, even though he has this minus two. Mm-hmm. And like he, yeah, he'll grind. He's a bad card advantage engine at the same time. Like, <laughs> yes, he does give card advantage. You have to do it over two gives, turns. Yeah, he gives bad card advantage. So, hmm. um, I shouldn't say bad. There's no such thing as bad card advantage. But he's not like a tireless tracker. He's not like a, you know, like a true, just you know, take a card, take a card, take a card. You know, he's he's less than optimal for a card advantage. Okay. Uh, but I do think that his his minus two has potential, so may, maybe we'll see it in like kind of a blistering fast aggro deck. Um, or how do you feel about him in like a vehicles deck where we're not in hmm. white? We can't run Gideon. I think if you're not in white as a vehicles deck, you're doing it wrong. I think there's too much good stuff in white. Thraben Inspector, um, Thraben Inspector, Spell Queller, so... Reflector Mage. Right. Now you're on my second deck. I guess I got to brew. What am I going to make? I guess Sultai. Sultai vehicles. vehicles. <laughs> Here we <Junk> go. Vehicles. <laughs> Junk vehicles. No, that sounds good actually. Tyler yeah, because you get red, so you can cast. Uh, you can cast the um, destroy target creature. What's it called? Um, um, how about Kolgan's command? Well, command what too. I do like about Karn, Just two things that I like about him are that his he he synergizes with more of himself. So the cards he exiles, they get a silver token on him, and then a different version of Karn can find those. Also, if you're making the constructs, making more of them just makes them all bigger. So if I'm running Karn, I'm probably running him as a four of. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, sure. I just I don't think he's he's there. I think I think he that there's a little bit of potential, 
Um, but I think artifact aggro decks need more than Karn's going to be able to give them to really break mm-hmm. into the meta. And pre, I mean, in classically, artifact aggro decks get stuck on like one or two mans most often mm-hmm. because you're running a lot of other ways to produce mana. So, and you're running a really low curve typically so it's going to be hard to get to four mana to run karn and getting a hand with two karn and two lands is going to be really really rough oh yeah okay let's talk the other planeswalkers here because i I think there's another one that could be quite powerful which here is teferi if someone wants to read that one off yeah uh so teferi is a legendary planeswalker for three a white and a blue uh for plus one you get to draw a card and untap two lands at the beginning of the next end step uh, for minus three, you get to put target non-land permanent put uh, into its owner's library third from the top. And uh, f- his ultimate is a minus eight. You get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, uh, exile target permanent and opponent controls, and he comes in with four loyalty. Yeah, so I've heard people quite like this card. The minus being real, you know, it is pretty much removal. Three, three cards from now is going to be a long time and it's card advantage because you know you're getting rid of a card with it what do you guys think i think at five mana sorcery speeds a lot to get through especially in a control heavy meta like we find ourselves in mm-hmm. um i know people have been really pumped on this um but I, I look super at, pumped on this i i look at this and i just say why aren't we just playing more of our control win conditions you know um, why aren't we just playing more gear hulks or scarab gods in this place? Um, mm-hmm. I think I think both do the job of card advantage pretty well. Um, it, scarab god especially because they just can't deal with it. And then you also have um, any any sorry gear hulk is crazy card advantage, especially because most of the time you're looking at a dig through time from it, right? Um, so you can often just chain gear hulk, dig through time. Uh, Gearhawk dig through time just by finding more of them. So okay, I'm with you there. I think so. The I, I do want to try it though. Yeah, so, sorry. I want to try him, and the the planeswalker that I've compared him to the most in my head has been um not Sorak, but um the Teamer planeswalker. Um, oh gosh, what's his name? Sarkon. Yeah. Uh, so Sarkon also has a plus one that draws you a card, right? And he has a he has a minus ability that's relevant, but he's more difficult to cast. So the thing that I've been comparing it to um, is that Teferi passes the Planeswalker test and is easier to cast than his predecessor in our format. So I mean, we are seeing a ton of Sarkin right now. <laughs> so I actually disagree that the comparison is Sarkin. I think the comparison is Jace Unraveler of Secrets, um, which is very similar. Um, okay. So Jace Unraveler of Secrets. That was my Secrets. first one too. I think the problem with Jace, so Jace minuses and just bounces to hand, which isn't card advantage. It really kind of makes it a lot worse, even if it can it's, do that. It's once. not card advantage, but it's also cheaper as far as uh, loyalty goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his plus one is quite a bit better. Um, because it has a scry one attached. I think his alt is also a lot better too. Um, hmm, okay. So I mean, I don't think. I, I do think overall, as a whole, Teferi might be a little bit better, but I don't think it's better enough given 
where Jace was at, right? I think I think at five mana sorcery speed, control decks generally have things they want to be doing more. Like okay. wiping the board. I'm going to move on to our last Planeswalker, which personally I think is the worst of the three. This is Jaya Ballard, finally in a nice Planeswalker card. Uh, for two red, 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 she comes in with five loyalty. She can plus to add three red, but you can only spend it on instant or sorceries. You can plus one also to discard up to three cards and then draw that many cards. And her minus eight is you get an emblem with you can cast instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard, but if you cast one this way, you exile it. So per- basically a permanent cast in flames. Pass in flames. So here's how I think this card was made. <laughs> Someone at Wizards was like, all right, everybody, I have a great idea. <laughs> and everyone's is that like, not how every card is made? <laughs> and and then they said, let's make a garbage planeswalker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how else are you going to cast your eight mana sorceries? So it's it's so interesting to see this come out as the next mono red planeswalker after Chandra Torch of Defiance, which is uh. like a multi format all star, like such a good card. You know, and I feel like Chandra's. I feel like all of Chandra's abilities are better than this, and she costs one red less. Yeah. She does, and she costs one less at large. Like mm-hmm. she comes down a turn earlier and doesn't have. She's easier to cast in general. Yeah. So. Ah, man, what a disappointment. I was really hoping that, okay, so the way that I pictured it, remember how at our, like, Dominaria prediction episode, we were talking about how one of the things I wanted back from Red was the ability to wheel? Hmm. I was hoping that they would put it on an expensive Planeswalker, because then I could I mean, we got Chandra. Yeah. Was Chandra wheels? Flamecaller, she discards your hand, draws that many plus one. So it's not a draw to seven, but it's still a wheel ish. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's kind of close. But that was that was something that I really wanted out of the set that didn't come. So okay. and that's something that I consider to be a signature of Dominaria is wheels. Um <laughs> so yeah. Um this was kind of like the spot where I I thought that possibly they could figure out a way to make it happen. And uh it's it's a major disappointment to me in that way. Like Jaya is so bad, it feels like she's a planeswalker deck. Planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there. All right, we we are going to move on to lands, which I think will be our last topic for this half the episode. We're going to have then our little break, and we'll come back with some more for you guys. So let's talk about lands. There's kind of two big cycles to talk about, and then a couple little one-offs. Maybe one of them worth talking about. So we did not get the enemy battle lands. What well, not the battle lands? The um. Well, we didn't get the enemy battle lands which we wanted, but we didn't get the uh, the pain lands, which we were afraid of because they are all set on Dominaria. Instead, we got the check lands in the enemy colors. So it is an enemy colored land. That's kind of what we were hoping for. You think these will have a big impact? They're not that powerful, but they're good? I think they're explorable. I think that they might be a one or two of in some enemy colored uh, like wedge decks. So. so for those who don't know, they're just like the ones we just saw out of Ixalan. They're, so for example, Isolated Chapel, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a Plains or a Swamp, and then it taps for black and white. So I think in three color decks, uh, these are alternatives to the fast lands, which kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, because there's the problem is you kind of need to have a certain density of basics. Or not of basics, but of, of typed land. Um, right. to make these work and i think there's so much 
of the enemy color dual lands that we have just don't have typing. Uh, so you really have to make some choices. And I don't think this increases like the overall consistency of those mana bases. Yeah, like this will enable yeah, some new decks um, where they can, lean, instead of going for the fast lands, they can mm -hmm. now say, I'm going to fetch. I can run a little bit more fetch heavy, like not super fetch heavy, but a little bit more. Uh, fetch a duel on turn one and then just try to play a little bit of a longer, slower game, um, which is nice. Um, but I don't know how much this, this isn't what I was hoping for as far as lands. This hasn't yeah. made the wedges catch up to the shards. Um, it's but not it going to is... be any kind of explosive gain in power. It'll be a little bit of incremental power in a couple kind of decks. But... That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's, it's like, it's more that we've, we've expanded the kinds of decks that can go in wedges. Mm -hmm. I don't think any particular deck, it's not like an, an increase in power as much as, um, some, types of decks the so slower decks will now have a slightly better land base mm -hmm. compared with the faster decks that already had this land base yeah and personally i think it's somewhat strong in the two colored decks i think that it will be worth it in those something slower especially like the white red planeswalker decks we've seen that will be nice to have an additional way to you know get both of your colors absolutely this will be big in, in two color decks. two color decks will love <clears> this <throat> no no questions asked this will this will improve the power of two color decks absolutely Right, so let's talk yeah. about a cycle of lands from this Dominaria, which are the Memorial Lands. So all of these are a land that comes into play tapped. It taps for the type of mana of the color it is. So it taps for white, blue, red, etc. And they have an ability which is a callback to a classic card, basically. So it's a sacrifice ability. So here, I'll quick read the white one. It enters tapped, taps for white. You can pay three in a white sacrifice it to create two one one white soldier creature tokens this is a reference to raise the alarm yeah i don't know i i hate being the guy who always says this but these occur to me as draft cards with the exception of memorial to unity I oh think. wow so I, I thought they were fairly powerful do you want to talk here do you want me to quick go through what the rest of them do so the green one it three mana look at the top five cards you can grab a creature from it put the rest on your bottom the black one's also three mana. It brings a creature from the graveyard to your hand. The red one is five mana to destroy a land. That's kind of obviously the weakest of these. And then the blue one is five mana um, and sacrificing it to draw two cards. What do you I, think, Matt? I think the best ones by a pretty huge margin are the black and the green. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be surprised to see them as more than a one of. You know, I think, and I think like no, if I didn't see them. I wouldn't be surprised, and I also wouldn't blame someone if they wanted to have, you know, a one of for either. You know, they just they seem okay, playable, but not, not like I'm not impressed at the same time. Okay. So you don't I, think we'll be a big player? But so, like for an example, strong? like what deck wants to pay five to destroy a land? Uh, well, that's obviously the worst one here, I'd think. Okay. Uh, what what deck wants to have both a white land that enters tapped and also wants to create tokens? Yeah, maybe one of those Planeswalker decks I was just mentioning. I, I could see that one being played. Okay. Um, um, if you'd be running Westvale Abbey as an anti-control tech, I'd say this is maybe stronger. Or at least comparable. I can see Memorial to Genius being something that gets played in blue-black control. I'll be honest yeah. about that one. Because... Yeah, those games stall out so often that having a, another angle at which to produce card advantage is 
good. And I can see the Memorial to Folly in Jund, maybe. You know, we always want to be playing with our graveyard there. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't think it's worth the hit to consistency. I think five mana is a lot for Memorial to Genius. Okay. Um, for a deck that just it has so many card advantage options. Um, well, then let's talk about big mana with our last card we'll talk about for this half of the episode is Cabal Stronghold. It is not Cabal Coffers, but it taps for a colorless. And you can pay three and tap it to get black for each basic swamp you control. Yeah, so actually, um, I think that this should have been printed in Ixalan as a flip enchantment. Hmm. Okay. And it should have um, been better. And it should have been better. Gall dang it. Yeah. Uh, but no, like, so I think I there was Cabal a bit of an outcry and... uh, when all of these flip enchantments that flipped into um, calls back to legendary lands from antiquity, I guess you could say. Like, mm-hmm. the one that flips into Gaia's Cradle, the one that flips into Talarian Academy. Like, there was not one that flipped into Cabal Coffers, right? Yep. And that kind of upsets a lot of players. Um, so, I I think that this kind of finishes that cycle. I'm not sure how well it does it. And it so severely wants you to be mono black. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of cards in this set that so severely want you to be mono black that I'm just not sure I see it yet. Yeah, right I mean, now, I'll try it. I'm going to pass on it. Yeah, here's the thing, right? So if you're playing this, you have to have basically only basic swamps. And that's the problem, right? Basic swamps. It's not, uh, you know, your smoldering marshes, uh, sunken, sunken hollows. hollows. Yeah, they don't yeah. they don't work for this. Um, so you're giving up all the utility of having other colors. You're giving up all the utility of having, you know, the uh, colorless utility lands. All so that you can ramp by one on turn five. That's a good way to look at it. All right, I- I'm with you there. So let's uh, let's call it here for this episode. I think that this has been a good one for anyone listening out there. I want to thank you guys for listening and for our show. We are Magic the Final Frontier. Yeah, you guys can hit me up at Scryburial on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you can find us, MTG Frontier. You can also find mtgfrontier.net, our new website. So make sure to get hit that up. We've got a lot of great content there if you guys haven't checked it out yet. Stay tuned for the next episode. It should be coming down the pipe next week. Yep, it'll either be next week or uh, as soon as our editor finishes it, we might just let it up there if you guys are excited to hear part two of this. But uh, we want to thank you all one more time. And as always, for everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier information online. Your final frontier, signing off.